In today's episode of Crypto Over Coffee, the coolest and most caffeinated weekly crypto show on the internet, we're talking about Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin's terrifying yet somewhat beautiful vision for the future of crypto. And we've also got a ton of crypto news on the way, so make sure you stick around for all the updates in today's show. Now, if you like crypto, please do subscribe to the YouTube channel and hit the bell notification button. Or if you're listening on the podcast platform, please follow the podcast on your platform of choice and you get a heads up whenever I post new episodes of Crypto Over Coffee every single weekend. And by the way, for your safety, make sure to watch out for scammers all across social media that are impersonating me, especially in the YouTube comments and in DMs on Instagram. So please be careful out there, folks. By the way, the coffee is from Onyx Coffee Roasters. Now, in May of 2022, so this month, depending on when you're watching, Ethereum co-founder Vitalik Buterin released a white paper with two other researchers, Glenn Wheel and Pooja Oliver, which outlined a vision for a decentralized society in a not-so-distant future state for the crypto industry, and it's both terrifying and tantalizing at the same time. The fundamental premise of this paper is that Web3's reliance on centralized Web2 structures like social media or centralized custodial exchanges for crypto creates an issue, and it proposes a set of mechanisms for DSOC, or decentralized society, to be managed atop true decentralized structures. The core element of this, in fact, is identity. As described in the paper, I quote, The lack of native Web3 identity makes today's DeFi ecosystem unable to support activities ubiquitous in the real economy, such as under-collateralized lending or simple contracts like an apartment lease. Here, Vitalik and company are tracking towards a huge paradox in the crypto ecosystem. The balance between pseudonymity and the need to verify who someone is or establish a trust relationship with someone on a public decentralized blockchain. Identity is today a fragmented mess of dependencies with each of our identities belonging to different agencies and corporations and custodians and many proponents of digital identity postulate that centralizing one's identity, ironically enough, into a digital wallet in one's own control is the most egalitarian and privacy-centric way to do things. This could enable selective sharing of identity attributes, remove dependencies on external third parties, and give the individual control of their identity again. And in a way, that's all true. But it also raises other important questions. What if someone loses their wallet and private key? What if my wallet's taken over by a hacker and they take my identity? Could this be misused by an overreaching entity? Isn't this dangerous to store identity attributes on a public blockchain? I mean, these are all questions that need to be carefully considered when creating digital identity infrastructure and on-chain reputation systems. In this paper, Vitalik and company outlined a brand new form of digital token that could be used as a means to this end, which they dubbed soul-bound tokens, or SBTs for short, which are described as non-transferable, initially public, soul-bound tokens representing commitments, credentials, and aliations. Such tokens, in this case, would be like an extended resume issued by other wallets that attest to these social relations. And that was a quote from the paper. In effect, you have digital attestations of agreements, credentials, and interactions that can't be transferred out of your wallet. They are bound to an account or wallet called a quote-unquote soul. And let's be honest, it's a little corny, but philosophically, the nomenclature makes a lot of sense. If you believe in this kind of thing, you don't get to swap out your soul for another one throughout your life. You're stuck with it. So here, 
you have a sole wallet or account and non-transferable tokens attached to it that make up your identity and reputation. Soulbound tokens. It makes sense. An institution can be a soul as well. Say a university that issues soulbound tokens to an individual to attest to a degree that's been awarded. Now, the first thing I thought of when I read this is, okay, that's great, but how do you ensure that each person only has one sole account? Which was quickly addressed by this statement in the paper. I quote, there is no requirement for a soul to be linked to a legal name or for there to be any protocol level attempt to ensure one soul per human. A soul could be a persistent pseudonym with a range of SBTs or soul bound tokens that cannot be easily linked. This suffices to say that the entire concept around SBTs and the sole account is to be a primitive or enabler for decentralized mechanism for reputation and identity, rather than as an inextricable link between your real world identity and the digital world. The paper goes on to discuss several powerful value-added activities enabled by such a decentralized identity with soulbound tokens, such as richer, less fraudulent NFT ecosystems, true under-collateralized lending in a decentralized environment, and to create DAOs that are not governed solely by plutocracy, where one token equals one vote and the richest are in control. The latter in particular, a DAO that's governed from the bottom up with mechanisms to measure input, contribution, and qualification in a decentralized way is far, far more viable long-term than what we have today in token voting mechanisms and could very well be a boon for the adoption of DAOs. Furthermore, the ability to measure in a tangible way the decentralization coefficient of a given community by way of pluralism or identifying correlations and relations between individuals and groups is a powerful tool in enabling and building strong decentralized systems. Being able to tangibly measure that is important. However, while this concept is beautiful and its vision for the future, it's also terrifying in many ways. For those who are aware of both the fictional and real implementations of social credit scores, deep surveillance, and inextricable marks on one's reputation and society where that matters, there will be intense scrutiny towards any system like this, decentralized or not. It will have to be designed in a way that is so nearly flawless such that it can't be effectively turned into a tool for nefarious purposes. Furthermore, while the paper did outline a social recovery mechanism for those who lose their sole account, I don't feel that this is sufficient, as similar ideas for recovery have been floated before and had limited success. Of course, I know implementation is most of the battle, but recovery of easily lost information as important as this will be critical to success. So I want to see more about that. And this is a rather jarring duality in this paper, both a grand vision for a thriving decentralized borderless society juxtaposed against everything we know about the dangers of social credit scores, hypersharing, and the like. I read this paper end to end and was left both with excitement and stress, and I can't hit every single point in this nearly 40-page paper in just this episode of the show, but I encourage you to read this paper yourself forge your own opinion, and then come right back here and comment to tell me your thoughts. I really, really want to hear from you on this. I want to hear different opinions about this paper. Could this be the answer to some of the issues we have in crypto today, where fraud and manipulation can run rampant at times? Anyways, the link is in the description if you want to read this paper. It was a fascinating read, no matter where you sit in terms of your opinion on it. Now, before I dive into some crypto news stories, I want to quickly thank the sponsor of the today's show, Masterworks. Masterworks provides its members access to fine art as an alternative investment based on research and art trends and projections on the appreciation of value. Masterworks will purchase 
contemporary art and make it investable to its members only. The art is then held over time until Masterworks finds the best time to sell and once sold, the returns are distributed to the investors. So if you wanna skip the waitlist and join Masterworks to check it out, make sure to sign up using the link in the description below the video or in the podcast description where you can also find important disclosures related to the service. And of course, please know the risks in every single investment, including Masterworks. So let's go ahead and check out some crypto news stories from the past week. I've got some headlines that I wanna cover. So let me dive into the computer and let's go ahead and check these out and see what we've got in store today for the news can't read this too far away my eyes are terrible um okay so the first story is from blockworks the headline reads jp morgan crypto trumps real estate as preferred alternative asset class bitcoin which traded below 30,000 wednesday afternoon has a fair value of 38,000, according to the bank now this is just another chapter in the story of jp morgan can't make up its mind about crypto and blockchain and bitcoin and all these other things because for the longest time, you see JP Morgan saying it's trash, it's not worth anything, it's garbage. You said, of course, then you saw towards the end of last year or early this year saying it's overvalued, now it's undervalued. It's very interesting. What this says to me, though, is two things. One is that JP Morgan is maybe playing both sides a little bit on this because they may not even be sure about what's going to happen next. The second thing is, Directly calling out real estate right now is very interesting because we're in this position where we've had the largest real estate appreciation of value. Like the event, the events in the real estate market are absolutely insane. Property is insanely inflated for a variety of reasons. I really believe that this statement is just as much a you know someone decrying real estate right now, buying what will be likely the top, as much as it is about Bitcoin being undervalued both of which are true in my mind. I believe that real estate is right now extremely overvalued in a large way. Not in every market, but in a large way in most markets. Bitcoin also, I believe, is undervalued. Whether or not that actually comes to fruition and price goes back up, hard to say. There are a lot of different forces at play right now in terms of macroeconomic conditions. Sentiment is a big thing. Uh, whale activity is a big thing. It's hard to say what's going to happen, but I really do think that you should be watching what banks and other large financial institutions are saying, because even though what they're saying at face value, you might be like, oh, whatever, you know, it's another thing that they're saying that doesn't make any sense. There's subtext underneath that might give you a little bit of a hint as to how they're thinking about other asset classes. The second story of the day is from Cointelegraph, and the headline reads this. Exchanges back Terra 2.0 revival plan via airdrops, listing, buyback, and burning. Mexi Global has pledged to do a month-long buyback and burn to reduce the circulating supply of old Terra markets. Now, a lot of people are criticizing exchanges for supporting this revival plan. And in a way, I agree. Much too early, I don't think the revival plan is going to work. Call me crazy. You know, I've admitted it already, I was wrong on Terra. It's going to take a lot more to convince me of a future plan for Terra than just coming back with a, not a fork, but a brand new chain, 2.0. Not enough time has elapsed. You cannot have possibly come up with a real tangible plan and implemented that plan with enough tangible code changes and policy changes to make this happen appropriately. That's just my opinion. However, I do think that exchanges don't really have a choice. Because when 
you have, if you already supported Terra before on your platform, now with Terra 2.0, a lot of your customers are going to be really mad if you don't support the ability to go from what you had before to now the new Terra 2.0 ecosystem. It's kind of like if Coinbase decided where they're not going to support Ethereum when it goes post-merge. They're just not going to deal with it. They're not going to do it. So anything you've got is just kind of trapped. The reality is, is that a lot of exchanges are doing this to appease their customers. While a lot of people are angry about it, this is not a surprising move. The issue is, I think that more exchanges should be very vocal about the risks implicit here. Some would argue it's not the exchange's place to say that. I believe that in many ways, exchanges should be more forthwith about the risks that are in this space and their sort of their position in it by enabling people to buy things and basically encouraging people to buy things and to accrue them transaction fees that are very risky. So it's hard to say this is sort of one of those on the fence moments for me and for a lot of people, I think. I'm not surprised exchanges are doing this. I'm also not surprised there's criticism about exchanges supporting Terra 2.0. Hopefully, hopefully, this is a really focus, focused mainly on enabling customers to move from the old to the new and to do with it what they will. We'll see. The next story is also from Cointelegraph. Uh, it's about some issues in Ethereum land. The Ethereum beacon chain experienced a seven block reorg. What's going on? The reorg, <clears throat> excuse me, the reorg is not an indicator of a flawed fork choice, but a non-trivial segmentation of updated versus out-of-date client software, suggested core Ethereum developer Preston Van Loon. Now, Preston's all over the place when it comes to the Ethereum merge, and that's not a negative statement. That's This person is always talking about what's going on, giving people information. The communication from Preston has been stellar throughout this process. What's concerning about this is that a reorg is probably one of the worst things that can happen in a a decentralized blockchain network. A reorg is basically when the there are multiple chains. You have sort of a, a fork in many cases. And what happens is you have to go back in time to settle out that fork, choose the longest chain. The longer a reorg goes on, so the more blocks that go by, the worse it gets because you then have more blocks of transactions that basically have to be, in many cases, can be invalidated right? That's an issue. So what's happening here is not being described by Preston, let me just say, it's not that a the wrong fork was chosen, and thus you had to reorg back to fix the problem. This was a case of different clients, so different nodes in the network being out of sync, at least from my understanding. So you basically have some clients that are syncing on what they believe is the canonical chain, the longest chain, and then others doing another one. This resulted in a reorg. When you basically come together and realize we are doing different things, a big part of a blockchain is having all of these clients or nodes in the network agreeing on the state of that ledger. When that state is out of whack and they are not in agreement, there's an issue. What I think is the most important is that this is happening now close to when the merge was supposed to happen. I'm a little bit concerned that this could push the merge if it's found to be an actual issue that takes a little longer to solve than they originally thought. This is also something that we don't need from a sentiment perspective because ultimately it makes people a little bit fearful about what's going to happen next when inevitably we move to merge this consensus layer for the beacon chain with the proof of work execution layer that we have today 
obviously proof of work's going away, but the Ethereum network we have today, the smart contracts execution environment is going to be merged with this beacon chain consensus layer for the merge in August, estimated time frame. This is something we're going to have to watch really closely. I would look for sort of the retrospective on this issue and on this reorg. Reorgs happen occasionally, and that's okay, but a seven block reorg is pretty significant. And uh, we're going to have to definitely keep a close eye on this one and see what happens. And the last story of the day is from Cointelegraph. Sorry, Coindesk. All right, their headline reads, Crypto whales ditched Tether for USDC after stablecoin panic. The UST failure prompted large investors on the Ethereum blockchain to leave USDT or Tether for the perceived safety of its biggest competitor, USDC. And there's a big chart below it that kind of shows these two stablecoins sort of meeting at this peak where USTC starts to overtake USDT. Now, here's the interesting thing. USDC is a really classic regulated stablecoin. And for that reason, a lot of people trust USDC the most out of all of them, which is ironic because in many cases, people say, oh, I don't trust centralized things. I don't trust highly regulated things in this space. But clearly, that's not the case. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice is a little messed up, folks, but I'm trying my best. The reality, though, is for USDT, there's so many questions, and there's always been the stress around tethers. Is it backed? What does the accounting look like? Is it safe? Is there stuff going on behind the scenes we don't know about? There's always been mistrust of USDT, of Tether. So now with UST having imploded, there's so much fear now around the unknown and not knowing about Tether and what's going on behind the scenes, despite all the things that folks behind Tether have been saying to kind of put people's minds at ease. It's very clear now in the data that people are feeling uncomfortable enough to go looking to USDC, a regulated stablecoin with assets in the bank, with attestations and a deep connection to regulators because they feel safer there. And this is almost a proof of concept now for us to see the sentiment and how this stuff plays out. A lot of these big whales may be sophisticated players who are looking for shelter because they know that now based on UST, things can go in a really negative direction really, really quickly. Maybe that's the idea. Maybe it's we have a lot of people moving into USDC because there's more opportunities to use USDC for yield. Maybe that's possible. But this is something that we should watch as a trend to see how this plays out. The stablecoin environment is going to be one of the biggest battlegrounds. And I don't mean literally battle, but it's going to be one of the literal battlegrounds of, of uh, philosophy, I think is the main point, from regulators, from folks in the industry, etc., and it's going to be this push and pull of regulated and heavily regulated stable coins versus sort of nebulous decentralized ones. And which ones are going to survive, which ones are going to thrive, and which ones are going to go away. And this is going to be one of the biggest storylines of the next calendar year, in my humble opinion. So that's going to do it, folks, for the stories for the day. Uh, and I want to say I'm testing Crypto Over Coffee format. And you'll notice the format of the show has been changing week over week trying to test shorter versions of the show, um, different structure where I have maybe one main story and then a few different crypto news stories. So please let me know in the comments what you think. Obviously, there's no 404 today because I'm planning a standalone episode of that show soon, uh, but I'm gonna kind of keep testing things. I wanna love your feedback so I can make this show as great as possible for you. So thank you so much for watching as always. If you have 
uh, some more time to stick around and you're on YouTube, I'll leave another video link here to a really awesome crypto video that you might have missed on my channel last week. And of course, thank you so much. Hope you and your family have a wonderful rest of your weekend and week ahead. And until next time, cheers.